Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Rorag is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Gubbins. Today I'll be chatting with Dr Craig Wood. Woody has been a vet at the Tarang Mortlake Vet Clinic since 2002 after completing his studies at Murdoch University in Western Australia. He was previously owner after selling to Aprium in 2018. A mixed practicing vet specialising in large animals, Woody works closely with many well-recognised Australian beef studs as well as being one of the leading pro-dairy vets. Woody lives in a picturesque town of Nurat in Western Victoria and plays a pivotal role in supporting his local community. Welcome to the podcast, Woody. Thanks, Tom. And uh, from the north, educated in the southwest and now living in the southeast of Australia... Um, tell us a bit about where you've come from, because well, that's a, quite an adventure. Yeah, it has been been a bit of travelling. I've nearly lived here just about as long as anywhere else now, Tom. But uh, I was born in Nullumboy, up on the Gove Peninsula. So it's an interesting one to have on my passport. There's yeah. probably not too many that can claim that. So Dad was an engineer, so he used to move around a, a little bit. Um, then so how were you educated up there? <laughs> Poorly? No, <laughs> not too bad. I left, I left uh, the Territory sort of when I was just over two and then moved down to uh to wa and we were down in mandra for a fair while yep dad was working out of pinjara um and then moved up into into the burbs into perth and went to uni at murdoch university and now all the way over in uh, in uh, tarang Nurat. yeah well part way through i kind of decided i really liked doing cattle work and well, I couldn't think of a better place to come than do cattle work than in southwest Victoria. Certainly, if you want to cut your teeth in that game, I think this is a pretty good part of the world to do it. Uh, I think original plans were to be here for a couple of years, and uh, I think I've been here 19 now. So, yeah, it doesn't look like I'm going anywhere anytime soon. And you're not just in VET, of course, too, in the local community. You, you get yourself involved in all sorts of things, you know, you're captain of the fire brigade and uh, do all sorts of things for the community and look after the mount at Nurat. Yeah, so I think I think that's actually a very important part of it and I don't actually know where my job starts and begins some days. I think often you'll be at the pub or at the fire sheds or involved locally because at the end of the day we're all part of the same community your clients are sitting there and yeah i don't think there's a very very blurred line between the start of work and the finish of work i think it just all rolls into each other uh, and you just yeah. need to be a good part of the community i suppose if you pick a good career that you know what what's work and what's play sort of all blends together doesn't it, it does it does and uh yeah i've many a conversation had over a beer at the pub so some of them might be meaningful some maybe not so much but uh yeah <laughs> certainly a good part of living in this area and i think it's super important to be involved well you just do us a, a great job um helping us with our veterinary veterinary at tamania and um you know you'll come in today to help uh, to give us some tips to the listeners some farming tips on how um, they might manage their farm and utilise their vets. 
Yeah, look, I think it's... Uh, when you asked me this question, I thought getting into sp- specifics is going to be fairly difficult, obviously, because it's going to be tailored to every individual farm. So I sort of took that and went, well, let's go a little bit broader and let's look at some things that I think are really important um, when I look at farms. And I think the biggest one for me is measuring data and having measurable values. And I think it's just often overlooked but so important that... If I want to go in and implement a change, I want to know what we're dealing with beforehand. I want to know that we're going to get, I guess, a return on investment for whatever money that we decide to spend or whatever disease we decide to test for or vaccinate for. We need a return on investment on that. And if we don't measure any data to start with and we don't any measure any data after implementation, we have, we're none the wiser. We don't know what's going on. And I think that's just a really, really important thing to be able to do. Being able to identify animals, identify groups of animals that might have an issue. And and certainly you would know when I ask you, often I'll go, oh, Tom, what, what percentage of animals did we lose this year as far as calves when they're born? Or you know, I'm always yep. chasing a little bit of data so I know where you're sitting. Yep. And I know if we implement a change, then we're going to have a positive change. Yeah, no, well, that's, uh, and obviously um, calving percentage and things like that are known to be key perf- performance drivers. And, yep. and so um, it's important for you to be making uh, financial changes to farming enterprises. T- tell us a little bit, this is a bit off track, but, um, you know, in the recent increase in beef prices, have you seen a, a change in beef farmers' attitude to calling the vet out? Um, well, I seem to be certainly fairly busy, Tom. So, yeah, I think there has been. I think we, as an industry, both you know, farming and veterinary industries, we are moving more into preventative herd health. I think, as a general rule of thumb, everyone is better educated and more knowledgeable and have the ability to do some basic things on their own. I don't go to too many easy carvings anymore. Yeah. If I'm going to a carving, it's going to be hard, and I pretty much would know that's what's going to be the case. Because the farmer's already had a bit of a look at it himself and yeah. realised that it's perhaps out of his league. And Yeah, but also I think the skill levels are getting better and better for being able to do things on farm. Um, so, yeah, so I think that as a general rule of thumb, we're moving into a more preventative herd health role and a data analysis role as an industry. And it's probably now where I'm moving, certainly in the last year, uh, into that role as well. Yep. I think it's just where we're going to get bang for buck um, in that advisor preventive herd health stuff. So, um, you know, what, what, what gets you going? What, as you said before, you know, um, perhaps we sort of talked a little bit about, you know, find the right career and you don't do a day's work, but what gets you out of bed and really gets you motivated? So do you get, where do you get your pats on the back? I yeah, well, I, I think this, as we talked about this briefly is that I think it's actually part of my tips because everyone I think needs a reason to get out of bed in the morning um, I can probably count on one hand the number of times that people have come up and said to Woody oh that that was an awesome job that's really good so I guess is in the veterinary industry we're pretty used to not getting too many pats on the back so you make your own pats on the back for me learning something new or implementing something new that makes a big difference or a big change to a farmer I, I really walk away from that and possibly it's only the farmer myself that will know that and sometimes it's not even the farmer that knows that um but that really keeps me going and i think education and teaching seeing success of new vets and younger vets uh go through their career start out 
as as baby vets um, and certainly see them succeed in their career and then you know a lot of them going on to make changes to the industry so that really gets me keeps me going I think and I, mm-hmm. I think it's really important and from uh, I'm always seeing you with um, uh, student vets you've always always contributing anyway to the you know to that part of um, your industry yeah, we need to, and I could say the same back, Tom. You often have people floating around on farms, so I think it is important. I think we do owe that to the future of of the industry. Yeah, I think it's important. So, also. what do you get out of that too, as well? You know, apart from you know having someone, you so, you sort of do. I mean, I find I get they ask questions that sometimes I haven't asked of myself for quite a while. Yeah, they and, certainly keep and, you on your toes. And um, you know, his time might have moved on, and perhaps I should have asked that question to myself a bit more often. And um, so do you get a bit of that sort of feedback? Abs- Even as a you know an academic sort of vet, you still sort of get that sort of feedback. Absolutely, I uh, it makes you rethink why have I done this for the last fifteen years, and maybe that isn't <laughs> the correct thing to be doing anymore. Um, it makes you justify your answers. So I yeah. think yeah, it is really important. I, I think it's, it's great having them around. Um, and I think back to, if we go back to oh, well, what gets you out of bed in the morning, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. really important also that in our industry, we do have a high level uh, with mental health issues mm-hmm. and, and the farming industry is the same. And so we need to make our own drivers. We need, because someone's not going to come up and pat you on the back every day. It's the same in your game as it is in mine. And I just think it's really important. Uh, so as a tip, we need to be able to work out what drives us every day and it's not necessarily going to be someone's going to say, well done, Tom, or well done, Woody. Um, the reality of it is it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, some people, it's financial drivers. As I said, for me, it's probably that education side of things. We probably it? should have a little love in, Woody. Well That's done. it. Well we done, should, done Woody. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so there is something about a, a country vet, though, and, and I'm sure you know people listening to this podcast who... They they all seem to come from the same, cut out of chiselled out of the same block somehow. You know they they've got this um, marvelous sort of academic approach, but the practical side as well, which you know sort of doesn't often uh, manifest in the same person. Often often two people need to come together to get those two qualities rather than just it being one. Um, and and you always uh, vets are always sort of um, very honest and open about the way. The world is and i find it quite refreshing to have a vet in the yards actually because you know you ask them a question and you get the answer you don't you know you don't beat around the bush and most country vets are the same what do you reckon makes that happen well i think that's how to succeed in the in the cattle industry i think that's just where we need to be i think your uh, radar on is is on for people who are, who are telling furfies so that was a very nice way of putting it i would have put it slightly differently if you're sitting in the yards tom but um <laughs> So I think that that's why. I mean, to succeed, I think, as being a cattle vet, you need to be able to understand where people are coming from and be direct without being, you know, totally arrogant about it. You're just yeah. not going to get back on farm. So I think that's it. I always tell my vet students to be a good vet. This is Woody's theory of, of uh, veterinary science in the country is that you need to be a cross between uh, Sherlock Holmes and MacGyver. So you need yep. to be able to make... <laughs> <laughs> for those that are old enough to rem- remember those couple of shows, but you need to be able to make things work with whatever you've got yeah. there. So you need you know, to be able to tie your knots and do all the right things and do sort that. Of improvise if you have to to yep. get something done. But 
you also need to be able to investigate what the problem is. And, and driving into a farm, I'll be sitting there, and again, if I've got students, I'll be sitting there saying to them, all right, what, do you, what can you notice? Have a look at the cows as you're driving in. What's going on? Who's being fed what? Um, yeah. What condition are they in? Uh, is their cows off on their own? So there's a lot of information gathered as you're driving into the farm. Then before you even examine the animal, there's a lot of information that can be gathered. So, yeah, MacGyver and Sherlock Holmes would make the uh, perfect vet. <laughs> yeah. So what um, what other farming tips have you got? Have you got on your, um, you know, we've done the drivers and talked about that? Yeah, I guess a little bit knowing what's on your farm, so disease-wise and things like that. So yeah. if you don't look, you don't know. The old uh, got your head in the sand type thing. Mm-hmm. And I think as we investigate a little bit further even if it's to know that you have a disease and you don't need to do anything about it or you don't have a disease and you don't want it on your farm so knowing your status of different diseases or nutritional areas is super super important because if you know you can either you can choose your path and then work out an economical um, solution to it Mm -hmm. or you can just say no it's not worth dealing with but at least you know so I, i think more and more i'll find farms that didn't know and then you do a couple of tests and work out what's going on and go right yeah well you could make x amount of dollars if you made this change here or just keep living life as you have and no big deal move on but it's important to know if you're on the point of a big train crash so some diseases that we know if you're naive and you introduce them into your herd you're going to have massive issues pests is a good one so if you're a naive herd you want to know that you're a naive herd if you've got it well okay we can deal with it or we can live with it yeah you can either vaccinate against it or you can just do some really simple little management things and what you know the simple management things might be you know not boxing cows after joining and things like that that's right yeah but uh, always and always knowing what your status is of your different mobs and and so that's some that's a good example of some simple tests to know which have big consequences if you're naive and not as big a consequences if you do have it on your farm so it's about managing what you've got um yeah, you know, trace elements would be another one, Tom. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I know most of my farms, I presume, around area are probably going to be copper deficient and probably going to be selenium deficient for our area. But that changes farm to farm and mm-hmm. area to area. So, how do you know if you're trace element deficient? So, do you need to be running some liver biopsies on a few few young stock? But again, yeah. most people probably haven't done you're it. You're giving me a job list to do when I get home too now, Woody. Yeah, that's right. I think we might have done a few of yours, Tom. But, you know, that type of information, so spend a little bit of money there Yeah. instead of just going and injecting everything, you know, with yeah, with some trace right. elements. Yeah. So it's worth finding out. All right. And uh, sort of new tech, you, uh, farmers are often confronted with new technology and you know, and we've talked a little bit about this with um, um, Terry McCosker right in the beginning. You know, farmers some 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 have this sort of um, very suspicious approach sometimes to new technology. Now, I think it's because they've got so many intangible things going on around them that you know, if something new's coming in, they um, you know it has to be completely um, understood and for them to implement it. But you probably see examples of where that's not the case as well. Yeah, and I think it's the same in our industry, and I'll, I'll put that as maybe one of my mistakes later on too, Tom. But also I learned early on that I think you do need to embrace new technology, and I guess you put that but with caution. So do your research and mm-hmm. make sure that you know what else is... Get as much evidence as possible, and I think to adapt... 
to, uh, to adopt that new technology early, I think really important. I guess I look at the veterinary industry and some of the things that we've I've done as far as getting new technology in. If I look at one of my regrets, it would be not getting an ultrasound right when they first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never the first person to have an ultrasound in the area, so therefore was I ever the expert in ultrasounding cows. Yeah. And I'm 19 years down the track, it makes no difference. But certainly early on, it was like, oh, well, no, someone else had one you first. You weren't getting the call first. No, no, that's right. So then some of the other technology that's come along and we're probably one of the first ones in Australia to be doing laparoscopic LDAs, so twisted twisted guts, so keyhole surgery for twisted guts. And it's done overseas, so I thought, well, why not? And so I went down that path, probably never going to make my money back just doing laparoscopic LDAs, but at the end of the day, probably picked up a couple of clients for it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like being in that spot that we were the first ones really to, to adapt it in this area or in Australia. And and that leads on to then trying some other things. I've got some teeth surgery to do with a with a scope later on next week, which mm-hmm. again will be the first time, as far as I'm aware, that anyone's done that. So, so what's that? The teeth surgery? Oh, well, we're going to put cows. a scope up, yeah, for dairy cows. So, yeah. yeah, do a fair bit of dairy work, obviously, but as well in this area. But yeah, so we're going to put a, a scope up a, a teeth, and there's a bit of scar. Well, probably find a little bit of scar tissue up there and take that scar tissue away with an instrument. So, it's yeah, uh, pretty cool stuff. It's pretty cool stuff. And, yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing is that. Again, maybe being back to a little bit of MacGyver, that same instrument we could potentially use to scope joints in, in bulls or mm-hmm. or cows. So no one's done it, but there's no reason you can't do it. I think you've got to get that technology, see which how you can utilise it, potentially think of other ways that you can utilise it that maybe it wasn't intended for, but um, get the yeah. most out of it. Yeah. 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 And I think it's the same same in farming. There's plenty of new technology coming around and... And I think you, you you need to be make it work for you. Mm. More and more, we're finding um, in farming that when we get our nutritionist out, um, you know, they'll give us advice on nutrition, and then they might have a little bag of goodies that come out of the boot at the end just that they try and sell to us. And I'm always suspicious between, you know, was their advice, their intention to put me in a position. Um, you know that I, I was more able to accept something that they were selling me than 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 may have been the and so sales and advice um, or and even um, if sales and extension you know we see in genetics you know the companies that are selling bulls and perhaps teaching their clients how to use it it's very very difficult thing to do because yeah, there's this balance of integrity between you know are you teaching the person to accept your your product better how do you um, farmers are coming across that all the time and um, you must come across it too, I suppose, in your field. Yeah, come across it a lot. And I think that's, yeah, a big one is beware of people giving advice and, and selling product as well. So mm-hmm. it is absolutely do your research. So it's not to say that that product's not good, but just make sure you get some other either research or advice uh, independently or outside uh, whoever's there. I think it's really important that you surround yourself with a good team of people that you trust and you trust their advice and you trust that they're going to do the right thing by you. So whether that be a nutritionist and a vet and a couple of farmers that or a farming group that you can bounce ideas off and check and then have the ability to go. I guess I'm in a lucky situation is that I can go and get 
go back to the journal articles and I can go and find what data's out there mm-hmm. and sometimes there's none. Um, so then to make a recommendation without data really doesn't work very well for me. It's not to say you're not going to do use that product or use whatever that's selling, but you would do it and this comes back to measure if you want to use it maybe be the first to use it then let's make sure we've got data beforehand and afterwards so at least we can go well we'll trial this yeah and we can see a change so i think having a team around you that you can bounce ideas off um and being able to seek independent advice is really really important so yeah well we find it particularly in things that we're trying to do in soil management and you know and regen or sustainable farming and things like that wherever there's a bit of a a new blue sky area there's a limiting amount of science and facts and um that's where you find that there's some products being and i'm not saying that the people don't really believe in what they're pushing or anything it's just sometimes very difficult to work out absolutely what's what's what should be going on and what shouldn't and they might have an absolutely awesome product but yeah. let's make sure that that's we- right i'm not yeah yeah, you know, let's make sure that it is and that there's some data to back it up or get some data to back it up. So you might be the, the one doing the trial work, Tom, and, and I think that's there's no harm in that either. Um, you just got to know what you're walking into. Yep. And um, it's important to have a good team around you. Super important. Yep. I uh, absolutely bounce a lot of ideas off a lot of other vets. The cattle vet industry yeah, it's is really good, isn't it? pretty small and I think it's a bit like footy, like we might be against each other out on the field with the the neighbouring practices but at the end of the day we'll all catch up and share knowledge well farmers are like that too yeah yeah yep. they don't you know they they um there's just no sort of ip of knowledge on a farm virtually that can't be shared with the neighbor it seems to be an open community of so and that's similar in vet yeah absolutely so i think and that yeah back to your having a team around a farmer and, and now i have my own team around me and yeah, I would freely share knowledge to to anyone. I think it's important from our industry point of view to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know it all. No one person knows it all. So you need that group of people around you, one to keep you stable and sane, and then two just to to be able to share that knowledge. And I often say I might know the answer, but I probably know who to ring to find the answer. And I think yeah. that's probably true also for a lot of what goes on in in farming. Well, I think it's very healthy. Yeah, and then, then look. And there's really good evidence. So, you know, IP laws need to be put in place to protect people that have spent a lot of money on developing a brand new idea, but they also then limit the imagination of other people to take that idea and expand it even further. So, you know, in our industries, we're lucky that we do that really well. Yeah. So what's been your pathway recently? You've sort of moved more into preventative uh, veterinary. So what's got you on that sort of particular... Well, Tom, you probably know this story, but um, I guess I've had a couple of close shaves in the last few years. So, 37, I was had a 99% blockage of my left anterior descending artery. So, they call that one the widowmaker. Uh, I was very lucky. One of my clients is a cardiologist. So, surround yourself with good people, Tom. That's what it's all about. And a good team. So, so that been, you would have known what was going on. Was it difficult for a vet when you... I just knew something wasn't right. Yeah. So I asked, I didn't know the answers, but I asked, I knew someone who might know the answers. So I, I rang a client of mine and, and booked in an appointment and it all happened very quickly. So um, 
some words were said and uh, needless to say I wasn't out of hospital that day and, and got a stent put in my heart. So that was probably my first uh, bit of a bit of yeah. a close shave. And then it'll be two years ago now, I was uh, riding a push bike across a rack, rickety old bridge. Didn't quite make it to the end of that bridge and um, yeah, broke five vertebrae. So yeah, point in time there, couldn't move my feet, didn't know what was going on, a few things going through my head. Obviously, I knew I'd done some damage to myself. Um, watches trying to ring out because it knew I'd had a, had a stack. But uh, yeah, some interesting things go through your mind when you're lying on a bridge knowing that you might not be back doing what you've been doing for the previous 17 years of your life. So, so no, mo- no movement in your feet? No, not for a while. I started getting it back just as they uh, loaded me into a helicopter. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that was probably a bit of a life-changing event and then not sure whether I was going to go back into bull testing, preg testing and the, the physical work that's involved in large animal medicine. And, and Tom, you might have played a little bit of a role in, in where I started playing down the preventative herd health path was mm-hmm. that whether you remember or not, but you rung, rung me up and you were looking at adjusting some cattle uh, further south mm-hmm. uh, on the Bay of Islands there and, and you asked, and I, I clearly remember you saying, Woody, we don't care if you can't preg test or bull test, but we want the knowledge that's in your brain and I'm going to pick you up because I couldn't drive at that stage and, and we drove down and had a look through mm-hmm around that farm and came up with a bit of a biosecurity plan and how we were going to manage grazing stock down there and and it was a yeah it wasn't just you there were other clients that said a similar thing but it was that point in time that you realized well i'm not just a preg tester or i'm not just a bull tester and to have that i guess value put on your knowledge sometimes it takes a, a big event for for that to happen so yeah so that was probably the driver so yeah, big shift in your life. Yeah, and and absolutely loving it. I'm glad I needed a bit of a change. I was probably mm-hmm. due for that, and it's just allowed me to take that next step and and go a little bit broader um, in this area. Anyway, so yeah. Well, that's um, we're getting to the end of the podcast. Um, look, I know that we're just backstepping, but I'm, uh, you, I remember you told me what your watch did. Yep, so I uh, had an Apple Watch and it, um, so there's no brand placement there, I actually no, it doesn't. don't have one at the moment, but um, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it tried to, to ring out and it, it detected a fall and it rung emergency services. So that day there was two, two people that rang out um, and so first on scene would have been a few minutes. It's very hard to judge time. When you're lying yeah. there, because you've you've got no idea of how long anything takes, but certainly it did ring out and rung emergency services, um, and again that's confronting too, because obviously being in the CFA, a lot of people that were coming to that accident that day knew who they were going to, so it was that's quite a country conf- thing though, isn't it? Quite confronting yeah. to to some of the first responders as well, um, but great job and. Yeah, we anyway, do. you're here now and walking around. We do, and we live in a, an area with a really great emergency services around us. We're very lucky, and we're very lucky to have that helicopter too. So, yes, you're right. So, Craig, we're getting into the last final stage of the chat, and uh, we always finish off with the three M's, the mistakes, masterpieces, and mentors. So what mistakes? You've already mentioned one or two, but I suppose they turned it out to you know have a very positive silver lining for you. Yeah, I think I've probably made... 
plenty, probably more than I'd like to admit to, Tom. But um, I honestly deal with mistakes as a learning process. So there are things that you're going to do and there are things you're going to do for the first time that you aren't going to get right all the time. And so I think I kind of see them as, as learning lessons. So if I make a mistake, I don't want to make it again. So, and if I make it three times, well, that's just uh, downright stupid of me. So I guess for me, I think the ultrasounding one, I would still classify that. I would have, I would have loved to have been in earlier in the game for that. And it probably taught me from there on in, all right, if the technology is sound and if the science behind it is sound, be an early, early adapter into that technology. So I think I've learned from that one. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably how I deal with my mistakes. Yeah, I've too many to list off, but I'm sure I've made plenty. But I, I hopefully learn from them all. And um, some masterpieces in your life. Uh, I, I think for me, most of them are probably human related, as far as seeing new grads that came to your practice that spread their wings that yep. now own their own businesses are kicking goals and you catch up with them at a cattle vets conference and it's just really really rewarding so there's quite a few in mind that you sit there and go well that's great to see them travel their journey and be part of that journey so that's what i would consider a masterpiece for me is watching watching other people develop yeah i can see in your face how rewarding it is mm-hmm. no so. it means a lot but that side of things and um, mentors, we've all had some people that have lifted us up or um, or just get basically been a good sounding board to ring. Who are your mentors? I've got plenty of sounding boards. I, I think your first boss is always a major player in any career or mm-hmm. throughout life. So, so Dr. Jim Hancock was who I started working for when I first came here. Mm-hmm. Um, we then became business partners in 2002 uh, three I think it was right. yeah yep. two, 2003 I think um, and and then I ended up buying the practice off off him and then he actually ended up working for me for a little bit so probably don't recommend uh, if you've been the boss going back and working for an ex-partner but look oh, absolutely sets the scene I think as far as work ethic and, and lots of different things so I can't ignore that. But then other than that, I think it's a lot of different people that I have that mm-hmm. I can ring. Um, I've got people that I can ring at any time of the night if I want to discuss something or I'm not happy with something. So I think that's important. But as I said, I think I could pretty much ring anyone in, in the cattle vets community. Everyone has a little niche. If mm-hmm. I want to know something about someone, they're open to taking your phone call. So surrounding yourself with a lot of yep. people, a lot of mentors. And I think that's, again, common between veterinary science and, and and the farming industry is that surrounding yourself with a lot of people that you can call is super, super important. Yeah, I think that, that probably sums up most of my mentors. Well, Woody, thank you very much for coming in and speaking to us on Raw Ag today. You're a wonderful vet and we enjoy your advice and um, company particularly as well at Tamanian. Always got a dog in the car and a, or a vet student with you and you certainly... Um, are able to solve our veterinary problems and cheer up our day. So thanks very much, right, Thanks, Tom, for having me in. If you're enjoying the Raw Ag podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favourite podcast app.